The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Some of you are thinking, like, who are the patriarchs? Well, let me just ask you a question. Who do these people mean to you? John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and George Washington. I said that particularly (laughs) for a man in the front row. They happen to be called the founding fathers of the United States. Is that not right, sir? It took me a lot to find that out, but I found it out. And uh, so they're the founding fathers of the United States, and I knew that that, even though we're generally thinking, like, who? Um, It meant something for William, which is very good. You have founding fathers, and these are people who have gone before and they have paved the way. And when we're talking about the patriarchs, we're talking about the founding fathers of our faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's who they are. You talk with patriarchs, who are they? This is who they are. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they are men who went before us, who are founding fathers, who are the foundation stones of what we are now walking in. And the relationship that they had with God was mapping things out and changing things. And we learn from their lives things that can help us also to be strong in our own faith. They're mentioned many times because they're revered figures in terms of Scripture. And as you're reading through the Old Testament, even the New Testament, suddenly you'll come across phrases where it suddenly says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For instance, when Moses was being given the task of being sent back to Egypt and to go to see Pharaoh and to go and meet with the Israelite leaders, the elders of Israel, he actually said to God, well, God, you know, who am I supposed to say that is sending me? How am I going to get any credibility in terms of this whole mission that you're sending me on? And it says in Exodus 3.15, God said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me. So he's looking back to a reference point to say, Look, the big guns, they're behind me in terms of this. And that's what we see with these uh, patriarchs. It's also interesting to see that when Stephen, the uh, guy who was actually stoned for his faith, we read about that in Acts chapter 7, when he was giving an account of his life and a story to the Sanhedrin as he was before them, he said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. So he was looking back right at the very beginning of the faith, but also recalling those names and then bringing that in line with Jesus and talking to them about the events that have been happening just before uh, he also died. But today we want to look at one of those patriarchs and we want to start off by looking at Abraham. I know that William gave a little bit of background to everything last week, but I want to follow in on with that. William said last week that Abraham wasn't a special person. And it's really interesting to note that. He talked about the fact that Noah was a righteous man. Here's somebody that God has, he's a righteous man. I'm going to pick him out. I'm going to use him. He's going to be the one that I'm going to look after. I'm going to go for righteous people. But as we'll see in a minute, he went for Abraham. 
Abraham, he lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And we all know where that is, so that's fine. We'll move on from there. No, Ur of the Chaldees, okay, this is somewhere, because the exact location is not specifically known, somewhere in the south of modern-day Iraq. So you've got the capital Baghdad. That's a name that you'll remember, and you'll know it's hot, and you know that all sorts of stuff happens out in that country. Well, that's where Abraham was from. And it was called Ur, Ur, actually referring to the fact of fire or the fact that they were fire worshippers. That's interesting. So the very city which had some renown where Abraham came from was a place where the people worshipped other things. In this case, they worshipped the element fire. And fire is powerful. We all know that. You have a bonfire, you're chucking stuff off, it's disappearing. Fire consumes, fire purifies. There is power in fire. When a fire or a, um, you know, an office block or a factory goes up in flames, they call in all the fire engines around because it takes a lot to control a fire. Fire is powerful. And Abraham and the people around him, they worshipped fire. Now that means that they were not worshipping the living God, but they were worshipping a God. And they were revering that as the special being. So fire was a special being for them. They would sacrifice, because after all, you put a sacrifice, what happens? The fire consumes the sacrifice. You can understand the mindset when you think, this is a powerful force. But I also want to understand this. You see, he was living in an environment where there was a spiritual environment. People believed in power. Because the world, how has all this come about? There is power in the world. There are forces in the world, and we want to make sure that we're honoring those forces. Now, we know this is wrong for us. We should be worshiping the living God who has created all of those things. He is above fire. He's above air. He's above water. He is greater than those things because he has created them all. But they didn't understand that, but they were worshipers of that. So it's not just that he wasn't anybody. He wasn't just a religious person. He was, in our sight, he was a wicked man. Because he was worshipping other gods. He was no comprehension of the living God. What he had a comprehension of was this. That there are powers in nature. Spiritual powers that we can make connection to and they can help us in our lives. He had knowledge of that. And you know what? The land where Abraham was being sent to, which we now know as Cana, Israel. When he was being sent to that land... There's some interesting things that he's coming out of darkness, going into darkness. The land where he's supposed to be going, where God sends him, and we'll look at that in a moment, is a place where there's considerable darkness. Let me just read to you Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord, so this is Yahweh, the God of all the earth, had said to Abraham, and this is before his name was lengthened to Abraham. So just for the sake of today... I'm just going to say Abraham, because it's far easier for my mind today. So ignore the fact that it says Abraham. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Come out of all that fire worship. Come out of that nation. Come out of that family and go to the place where I want to send you. And he was sending him, as I say, to the land of Cana. Now, in the land of Cana, it says the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, they lived there. And they engaged in all sorts of ungodly practices. What do you mean? They, they lied and they cheated. Not just those things. Sacrificing their children in the fire 
engaging in witchcraft and divination. And it's interesting because in Leviticus, it tells us that they were full of sexual perversions as well. Let me just read to you. A little bit shocking, but we'll get through it. Leviticus is where God is instructing the Israelites not to do certain things. And God says to the Israelites, do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. You get like, ooh, it's a bit strong for this morning. But you see, if you go on in that passage in Leviticus to verse 27, it says this, for all these things, listen to this, for all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. Who was God calling? What was it like in those days? Because you see, in our days, we've gone off track. Nowadays, we know, and we know our society is moving further away. It's beginning more and more wicked. It's beginning more and more devious. It's beginning darker. We would say that, and we, but we're a developing nation. But you go back in time, there's nothing new under the sun. The same sins and temptations have faced all men of all time. And back in their day, they were dealing with all sorts of sexual perversions. They were dealing with all sorts of divination, all sorts of witchcraft. Because the one thing that they knew more than we knew, they knew the reality of the spiritual realm. And they connected into that realm to gain power, to gain authority, to get things done. They connected with that. So whereas God had chosen Noah, a righteous man, he now chooses Abraham, a messed up guy from a messed up nation amongst the messed up people. Now, I know you're looking at me blankly this morning, but that should give us some encouragement, okay? Because some of us, all of us, in one way or another, I'm not suggesting we've committed all the sins that we've been talking about already, but we have committed sin against God and all of us are corrupted in one way or another. We have fallen into sins that we know are not right before God. Things that we've done that we wish we'd never done. Things that have stained our character and our ways. But you need to know this. God calls such people as that. He calls them out of darkness. It means, therefore, they are living in darkness. And that's where we have been living. We have been living with those things. We have been doing things that God doesn't like, but it doesn't stop God, the pure one, the clean one, the one who is above all, to say, I want you (coughs) as part of my kingdom, and I want to call you to do the work that I have for you to do. That should give us great encouragement. God loves sinners. God calls people out of corrupt practices. And whatever our corruption, and it could be all sorts of things, whether we're caught up in drugs or smoking or stealing or lying or sexual sins, whatever they may be, God can call us out because he always wants to change us and to make us into his likeness. He wants to give us hope and a future. He wants to take us out of darkness 
and bring us into his light. That is what he is about, and that is what he did to Abraham. So he says to Abraham, as I've already said, Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham. Interesting. Abraham knew about the spiritual realm. Abraham knew about connecting with spirits. So suddenly, Yahweh, the great God, I don't know how he spoke to him. I don't know what the encounter was, but he speaks to Abraham, and Abraham knows this is a powerful, mighty spirit that he is engaging with. He knows he's dealing with God because he is radically changed. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Let's be quite clear. God comes to us in darkness, but he calls us out of darkness. He calls us out. It's not just like, oh, it's very nice to know God. I'll stay where I am. Listen to what God says to each one of us. I'm calling you out of your country. I'm calling you out of your people. That is your tribe, your lineage. I'm calling you out of your household. And I want you to go to the place where I want you to go to. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm saying here, we've all got to leave Bromley. We've all got to move home. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, every one of us is fixed and tainted with patterns of behavior of our nation, of our people, and of our families. It's true. I remember distinctly, well, I don't remember distinctly, I remember that I got married to Helen, and I remember in those early days, because it was quite a while ago, quite a while ago, in those early days, suddenly there can be, (laughs) just keep going. There can be things that you suddenly find, this is different. The way that my mum did things, and the way that now Helen, who's representing her mother, does things, these two didn't quite coincide. Silly things like how you stir things in a saucepan, how you make gravy, you know, how you fill up a hot water bottle, and all these sorts of things. They were just different ways of going about the same task. Now, anybody who's married, I'm sure that you will have some little story of your own that you can think like, oh, or if you've been living with somebody, you'll see things in the way, why do they do that? Why do they leave the washing up on the side? I never do that. I always wipe it up and put it away. But that's what happens in our house. That's right for me. But what's right for you? You suddenly find out, well, this is way wrong for me. I'm having none of this. And there, in, sometimes, there could be a, a, a mild dispute. <laughs> Some sort of verbal communication that helps to sort that out. But that's what happens. That's reality, folks. And that sort of thing, totally, almost insignificant. But you see, we do not understand how our lives have been gripped with the things of our nation, the things of our tribes, the things of our families. We don't know how we've been entrapped, but God does. God can see things like, you're holding on to that so tightly because you think like, my mom would never forgive me if I didn't do this. If this particular way at Christmas or whatever, if I ever drop that tradition, you know, they'll never forgive me. And God's thinking like, it's a load of rubbish. (laughs) It's just something you've come up with. It has no meaning really for life. You're holding on to it. But it's bringing you down. It's capturing your heart. And you know what? God is a lover of your soul and he is a jealous lover. He doesn't want part. He wants all. And so he's calling every one of us. Come 
It's time to come out of the practices of your nation, which you thought were right, but before me are corrupt. It's time to come out of those ways of your tribes, those things that you've been doing, that you've been holding on to. It's time to come out of that. It's time to come out of the ways of your household, where you're still living under the dictates of what mum said or what dad said or the way that grandpa did something or the way that grandma and grandma was a matriarchal figure and she said if we never did this, all of that stuff, come out, come out, come out, says God, because I want to take you to a place that I want you to go to. And this is what he was saying to Abraham. And when we're looking at it and it's like, wow. That guy's amazing. He left everything. Yeah, but that's what God's called us to. I want you to come out of darkness. I want to remove you from that place. And I want to bring you into light. A place where you can start to comprehend. A place where you can start to understand. I want to take you from that place. And I want to bring you into a new place. That is what God said to Abraham. Come out. Listen, have you come away from the roots of your family background or are they still holding you captive? You might be saying, well, they're holding me captive. What do I do? I don't know. But I know you can do this. Father, I'm asking you to take me out of this captivity. I'm asking you to release me. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what, but I give you permission to do in my life what is necessary to remove the roots the familiar spiritual roots that are holding me. There can be sin in our family line that dictates through us and has an effect upon our lives. Lord, I want to be separated from the sins of my fathers. Let them be broken off of my bloodline so that I might be set free. We can pray in this way and we can come to God. This is why he says, I want you to seek my kingdom first. You see, it's repeated. The same patterns are repeated. What was said to Abraham is, I want you to come out. What's said to us is, I want you to seek my kingdom first. Well, what's the difference? There is no difference. You've got to come out to make a priority of the kingdom. You've got to leave behind so that that might become the focus of your attention. Coming out is what it's all about. You've got to come out of darkness. You've got to come out of that. It's very interesting for us living together here as a community of people who from all different sections of society, many different nations, and sometimes those nationalities, they, they knock up against each other. I've seen pictures of Yomi and Nana at a wedding. I wouldn't wear some of those things. <laughs> but you know what? They look very smart. No, they look very smart. What I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to shame them. Sorry about that. Any of our Nigerian folks, I'm sorry. This is not about... I'm just pointing out there are ways that are natural to us. This is what we do. That's exactly the sort of phrase, but this is what we do. But it's like alien. I, I don't know. What do you do that for? It's because it's our way. If you go to an African wedding, well, I've been to an, a wedding in Uganda. And when the bride and the groom come into the uh, wedding celebrations to have the feast, they dance in. That's what they do. I'm thinking, like, I'm glad we didn't have that. That's not out of our traditions. That's, that's good. We missed out on that one. There's just different traditions that we go through, different things that we wear, different things, different customs that we are so used to. But customs sometimes can take authority over what we're allowed to give to God. He wants authority in our lives to do what he wants, 
Because he has a way he wants to take us and a place he wants to move us to. Why? Because we were created by him and for him. He is jealous for us because he wants to use us for his purposes. So Abraham was called out. That is very significant. Now, what is the time? Right, we're only going to get the second point. Abraham also connected to God. Let me read on in Genesis 12. So we've read of the fact that he's coming out. Genesis 12, verse 2, it goes on to say this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Cana, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we've got another situation. Abraham has come out. He's decided to obey God. He's come out. It's the screen's flicking. Don't worry about it. He's come out. He's pulled himself aside. And now he's moved on. They stopped for a while at Haran, a place on the, on the route. That's where his dad died. And then they moved on eventually and came to Cana. And he's got all of his goods, his possessions, his wife, his nephew. They're all with him. They're all together. And they arrive in the land of Cana. And it says there, at the time, Canaanites were in the land. Look, that's fine. It's their land. But what did we read about the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites? What do we read about them? They're full of sexual perversions. They're operating in witchcraft. They're operating in divinations. That's just, it just tells us that's what the people were like. You know what it's like when you as a Christian go to a new job? I'm a bit, you know, a bit afraid, but I am going to bring the Ark of the Covenant as I go in. So you go in day one. I'm going to go in quietly on day one just to sort of settle in. And then we'll unleash the glory of the Lord and everybody's going to get saved. You know that sort of... So you go in on day one... Day one, you start to find out this bloke really likes drinking. This bloke's got, you know, three partners. Or, you know, and you think, well, this is a den of iniquity. <laughs> That's what Abraham was thinking. So he arrives in Cana, and it's like, I've come to know this God, or I'm getting to know this God. He's getting to know. That's the truth. He's getting to know this God. He obviously knows that God is the Almighty One. And in the practices that he has been through, he has an understanding of that because he's following God, listening to what God says. And God, having spoken to him to come out, God is now speaking to him again and encouraging him and saying, like, where you are, this place, with all of this wickedness around you, I'm going to give you this land. He probably thought, do I want this? Do I want this? But that's what God is saying. So this is where... I have put you in the midst of darkness, in the midst of corruption, in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of the lives of people who you don't want to have anything to do with. You're living next door to a drug dealer. I don't want that. 
I don't want my children infected with this. I don't want that. That's a bit what it's like, okay? That sort of shock type of situation. He's now in that land. What does he do? It says he built an altar. So in your mind, you're thinking, like, what is he? He gathers up a few stones, makes a bit of fire. What, what do we think of an altar? That's what we're thinking of because it's practicality. He's building an altar and he's going to offer a sacrifice. Well, he probably did offer a sacrifice. But what it says is he built an altar. That is because when we read that, we're reading this. He built a place where I am going to connect with the powers of heaven and draw them to earth. That is what it's talking about. So he arrived in the midst of darkness. And the thing that he said is, I need to connect to heaven to draw heaven to earth. He built an altar. So when you're reading about altars, of course altars are places where they are made out of stone. And if you go into a church of England, you have at the front, there's the altar. That's the place where communion is served from. That's the place that's represented in a church. And we're thinking of the word rather than what it really represents. Altars represent the connection of the spiritual realm with the physical realm. That's what they represent. That's what's going on at an altar. You are making connection or seeking to make connection with authorities of powers. Because you can have evil altars. Where people of wickedness, like those of the Canaanites, who were operating in all sorts of sinful practices and all sorts of divination and sorcery, which is about drawing demonic powers so that you can have authority over them. All of those things, that's what it's about. So you can have an evil altar, a place where you are seeking to connect with powerful demonic spirits. Or you can have a godly altar. A place where you are seeking to make connection with heaven. And Abraham went into the midst of the darkness. And the first thing that he did was to establish an altar. A place of drawing the presence of God. Are you listening to me? Because you see, when you go into that office for the first place. It's not the fact that you want to make an announcement. The covenant, the ark of the covenant has arrived. I'm going to tell you the way that you might be saved. You go in there and you say, Lord, I see the hearts of these people. But I want to draw your presence to this place. So often we think of a place of prayer as maybe our own little place in our homes, a corner of a room, an armchair, or something where we even face the wall if we haven't got much space, somewhere where we're seeking to make our prayers and to connect with heaven. Because that, for us, is the establishment of our altar. You don't see an altar in this place, but there is an altar that is kept serviced virtually seven times. In other words, every day of the week where the presence of God is seeking to be drawn to this place. Because we believe in the power of the presence of God that can transform hearts and minds. Words can have effect, but the testimony of lives is what people see, the reality of the presence of God over people. That is what changes them. I don't understand what it is. Testimony of Steve that he was rang. As I said, he rang many people. One of the people, I've I've heard this account. He talked to Clive about this. He rang one of his old bosses, the boss he worked with for years. And his boss said to him, he says, you were changed when you started doing that church thing. And Steve says, I wasn't doing a church thing. What you mean is I was changed when I became a Christian. He's bringing him into line. Look, I want to bring the presence of heaven here. 
I want to talk to you about the reality. I was changed because I encountered heaven. And you need to be changed too. Abraham went into the midst of that darkness and he built an altar. An altar is a place of connection between heaven and earth. When you go down on your knees to pray at the side of your bed, you are there establishing an altar. Now we could go on a lot to talk about altars. And if you look in the Old Testament, one of the principles of the altar was that the fire on the altar, the place where sacrifices could be made, the fire was to be kept burning, kept burning. But often what we find is we establish an altar that becomes a once a week altar or, you know, it's not, the fire can easily go out. And that means that the altar's not very strong. We want to have altars that are regularly serviced, where you're bringing fresh fuel, as it were, to that place, fresh worship, fresh prayers, fresh encounters with God, that you are drawing his presence because his presence is what makes a difference in our lives. Abraham went into darkness, and the first thing he did was to build an altar to the living God, to draw God's presence. I want to encourage each of us that we would do the same as him. We can learn from him. Here we are seeking to learn about the, uh, the practices of our forefathers, the practices of the patriarchs. And for Abraham, he knew and encountered God. He came out of the things that God had asked him to come out of. And he now started to establish the principles and the ways of God by establishing an altar for his presence.